This morning I'd like to, first of all, uh, go over um, some basics about posture and um, and then uh, talk about seeing impermanence um, in, in practice. So, um, <coughs> so in meditation posture, we want to have a stable and balanced base. And, um, and we do this, uh, if you're sitting on the, on the floor, um, <coughs> your, your weight is distributed between uh, your knees and your buttocks. Um, and uh, the, your, your buttocks are slightly higher, slightly elevated. And that really helps keep a straight back. Um, so, you, so, in other words, your, your bottom is a little higher than your knees. Um, you want to have just a, a, a slight tilting forward of the pelvis, um, which helps to, uh, to the spine to kind of lift up straight. Um, but not, it's not exaggerated. It's just very, uh, uh, very slight. Uh, so you're not pushing out on the, on the lower back. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so, uh, just, and, and if your knees don't, don't reach the floor, if you're sitting cross-legged, then, um, you can support your knees with some cushions, um, or you can use a bench, or you can, uh, use cushions to straddle uh, the the cushion so that you're you're resting your weight on the cushions, but your legs are tucked back. Um, yeah. So, it, just looking at that, and then if you're if you're sitting on a chair, which which I you know want to emphasize is is a good posture. Um, to sit in because you know we want to start off feeling relatively comfortable. We're going to try to maintain the posture in stillness for the duration of the sitting. Um, if we're moving around a lot, um, then the mind doesn't settle. Uh, so, so sitting in a chair, um, if if sitting on the floor. Is uh, is just not comfortable. Is is a really good posture, uh, and one of the advantages of sitting on a chair is that uh, when you get used to meditating on a chair, um, it's kind of easy to you know if you're just sitting down like on your at your desk or something, just to take five minutes and kind of settle into uh, a meditation is is you know kind of feels very natural if you're used to meditating on a chair. Um, yeah, just just a, a kind of a word about why why is stillness important in meditation? Um, first of all, the stillness that we hold is not a stiff stillness. It's not a tight stillness. So it's not tense. It's a relaxed stillness. Um, 
some sometimes uh, it's compared to you know, if if you have watched a cat, you know, just kind of kind of uh, <coughs> maybe a cat watching a mouse hole or something like that, you know, or a cat just uh, not 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 a cat flaked out in the in the sunbeam, you know, but <coughs> but a cat who's alert but yet really relaxed. That's you know that kind of stillness. Uh, and relaxation is um, what we're aiming for meditation. Um, what's happening when we're shifting our posture? You know, it, it's happening usually below the level of consciousness, so we're not we're not even aware. But if 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 you cultivate mindfulness and just kind of notice the impulse to move. You know, before you move, like when mindfulness becomes developed, you know, we can we can notice that, and uh, and so just noticing the impulse to move. Well, there's maybe there's a slight tightness or discomfort, or maybe the mind is getting restless, and so we're moving the body to kind of uh, give a little. Um, release to the restlessness of the mind, and um, and whether it's a physical sensation or a, a restlessness of the mind, what we're experiencing is something that's a little unpleasant. So it's slightly unpleasant, um, and and so our reactivity is we don't want it. We want to get rid of it. We don't like it. Uh, how can we fix it? How can we find a posture or uh, a way to just dispense with or release that unpleasantness? And so we shift the posture, and we we're looking for more comfort, more pleasant experience, and that. Awareness, that mindfulness of um, what in Buddhism is called feeling tone, uh, is really an important part of our meditation work. Uh, as we begin to um, to really kind of, you know, in a way, uh, mindfulness practice is like you know looking through a microscope, and we're 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 looking at more and more subtle. Um, uh, Manifestations of the body and the mind, and um, and recognizing them and and being mindful of them, we're not so much at the effect of them. Uh, so so when we become mindful of of all the different ways that you know we're trying to avoid or get rid of unpleasant feelings and. And find and maintain and and sustain pleasant feelings. We we really see how it drives us in our lives, moment by moment. And so, part of meditation practice is just learning to be with unpleasant feeling tone in the body in the mind, open to it, um, witness it, receive it. Uh, accept it compassionately, kindly, um, and recognize that 
you know, it comes and goes. Pleasant, unpleasant. We can't hold on to pleasant feelings. We, we can't get rid of unpleasant feelings. And so just that simple act of maintaining a stillness in the body when there's a bit of tightness or, or discomfort, um, then uh, that helps us to maintain that stability of mind. So we're not kind of, you know, turning that wheel of always looking, looking for something else that is comfortable. And, um, uh, and so when we, we develop that inner capacity to be with life as it unfolds, to be with things as they are, um, to receive what is pleasant with uh, gratitude, to receive what is unpleasant, perhaps even with gratitude, um, at least with um, openness and acceptance. If, uh, if your posture is, um, is very painful, if, it's, uh, if, if you feel like you know, all you're doing is, uh, is struggling, um, well, you know, before you shift your posture, you know, so shifting the posture is an option, but um, uh, before you shift your posture, um, if when there's intensity of unpleasant sensation, um, bring your attention to it. Bring your attention right into it. So, say if it's in the hip joint or in the knees or in the back or the shoulders. Um, first of all, bringing your attention to it, bringing mindful awareness to it. So remember, mindfulness is present moment. It's not resisting. It's not grasping. It's just um, non-judgmentally uh, attentive. And even we bring that, that awareness right into the intensity of the uh, sensation. And we may discover that, that in doing so, uh, we notice that, that that pain is not something solid. It's, it's actually um, kind of a, a, a dynamic process. It's, it's um, you know, maybe there's a, a moment of intensity, a sharpness, and a throbbing over there, and then, and then a, a few moments perhaps of neutral sensation you're not necessarily feeling anything very much and then and then maybe there's some heat or you know sharpness again so so you know as we as we again we look at in the microscope we we kind of uh, bring our fine tuning vision into that experience you know we're seeing more deeply into it and we're seeing that it's a it's a it's a changing process Sometimes just bringing that, that mindful awareness um, into a, a place of intense sensation um, just dissipates it. And it, for the moment, it, it goes away. It might come back. Sometimes um, it, it continues, but it, we find that we can be with it. And sometimes... Well, it, it, at times it even intensifies, so um, you know that that can happen as well. Um, and and when we feel like we're, if we have an injury or we, we feel that we might be 
uh, exacerbating um, some problem in the body, then then mindfully, quiet as quietly as you can, uh, shift your posture, release your your posture, and and maybe you might do that once in in a sitting um, uh, or release, and then come back into your posture, but but um, not continual. Uh, shifting of the posture because the mind first of all your mind won't settle and secondly in a group context like this um, it it uh, it creates um, restlessness in the, in the group context so there's a certain awareness uh, that we can develop of the impact that our shifting our posture has on on others, because I'm very aware of it, you know, when one person shifts and then I hear, I hear movement around the room. So it's not to tighten you around that. If you need to move, then move, uh, of course. Um, you know, com- you know, we have compassion for ourselves, and 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 we can hold each each one of us can hold the rest of the um, the sangha in compassion. So, so it's not that we're judging ourselves or others are judging, but um, but just to to be aware of that, um, and to to work with it, to, you know that that our first response when we're sensing discomfort in the body <coughs> is first of all to be mindful of it, to in, instead of just unconsciously moving, and and secondly to um, to try to work with it. Uh, to you know, bring mindfulness to it. Um, so a bit more about the straight spine. Uh, lifting through the spine um, helps bring energy and alertness to our practice. Uh, lifting the crown of the head and the chin goes in a little bit, so the head is not tilted back or forward like that but but it's like the the back of the skull if you if you had a kind of, a couple of uh, you know strings attached to the base of the skull where it where it goes out and um, and you had a little lifting mechanism there uh, just lifting back there tucks it tends to bring the chin back and tuck it in and it also lifts the vertebrae at the back of the neck, and that helps us with our uh, alertness. So if you find that you're sleepy, you know that's the first thing you can do is just lift a little bit more, and um, or notice if you know if your posture is kind of slumped, just come back to that, you know, uh, alert, energized spine, and. Um, to me, the, uh, the, the energized spine is an expression of our commitment in practice to begin again and to begin again. You know, it's that, it's that um, what Dogen called, you know, the exertion in practice. And that's, that's different from striving. You know, striving in practice, it can be a lot about, you know, self. You know, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to become, you know, the most awakened being and everybody will see how, 
you know, wise I am. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, so, uh, so that's uh, that. That's a kind of a striving mind, and it's it's really uh, it's another expression of of a self. Um, but but uh, but the exertion is just um, the way Dogen was talking about it is just to uh, to keep. You know, beginning again, beginning again, uh, bringing that attention to practice. So, um, and then the relaxation. So, so just allowing the, the body to relax. So when you take your posture, you know, there's a kind of, um, you know, as I was saying during one of the guiding in to meditation yesterday, there's a kind of an external, you know, we take our posture and then we kind of go through internally our, our checklist, feeling the, the solid base, uh, lifting through the spine um, and, uh, and relaxing the body and then, you know, bringing that commitment and focus to the breath and, uh, and settling into the posture. Does anybody have any questions about um, those, the posture or, yes? What about um, your leg falling asleep? Yeah. Yeah, just trying to find the posture so that it doesn't happen or to get out of it. Right. Um, Well, you know, I, for a long time, my legs, one of my legs or Usually it was one of my legs would fall asleep. And um, uh, and it, it doesn't really harm you. It's uncomfortable. Um, so you can just let it fall asleep, and then, you know, when you shift your posture, you're going to uh, feel that, you know, those pins and needles, which are unpleasant. And, it, you know, it's an opportunity to watch the arising and passing away. <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, I fi- I've, I've found that um, my legs rarely fall asleep anymore. Um, sometimes, uh, if you are, if you're sitting cross-legged, um, if your knee is is kind of folded too tightly, that it's really um, a nerve being pinched. It's not that the blood circulation is cut off. So. You're not harming yourself. It doesn't harm you in any way. So part of, I think, the discomfort is the anxiety that there may be that, you know, it's bad for me to let my leg fall asleep. Um, so, um, yeah, so, but you can try, you know, if, if you're sitting cross-legged, not to tuck your knees so tightly. Um, if you're crossing one leg over another, how are, how are you? How are you uh, mm-hmm. sitting? Yeah. I'm trying to raise this is the leg all the this Right. Yeah. Well, it might be, you know, ha- this um, this posture where you sit, instead of tucking, you're, you're, you're kind of what's called quarter lotus, where your yeah. your uh, your foot is on your calf. So if you if you just have your lower legs parallel. Um, that's called the Burmese posture, uh, and um, and that's uh, 
That's also good. You might need to raise. You might need to tuck another pillow under that to raise it a bit more. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, experimenting in little ways like that. Does anybody else have a question? Uh, yes. Is standing meditation acceptable or possible on this retreat? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you feel sleepy or if it's sitting is just, you know, difficult for whatever physical reasons, standing meditation is good. If you, it, it may be hard to stand for the full uh, duration. So, so if you, you, if you want to begin sitting or begin standing and then just uh, quietly then take your seat or, you know, partway through, that's fine. Just two things. One, I would just uh, feel better for everyone, if you agree, just to have a spare chair <laughs> somewhere sitting around because most of the, you feel like you're butting in, most of the chairs are, are around the periphery and not taken off. So just for people that really need to, who are beginning or whatever, just have a chair stuck somewhere so they can sit down for a session. Sure. I mean, we don't have to have, you know, the the empty chair or something for uh, for that because you know it'll be used. But if you if you want if you want to uh, if anybody wants to rotate between uh, a chair and sitting on the floor, that's fine. Um, I think I think quite a few people are actually doing that at this point, and uh, there are still a couple of chairs over there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I have I have one there. I haven't needed to use it yet. Um, and uh, you know, it's you could where you put them because it's yeah, it looks like you're you're butting in because everybody's got just the right space. Yeah, except for the back people, they're pretty, they're pretty tight. Yeah, well, there's still some spaces that wouldn't be in front of people. I think okay. we can we can work it out. Okay. Yeah. And the second thing is when you're sitting on a chair, I always wondered about how you keep your, your buttocks up because sometimes, I mean, I always avoid a chair that is, you know, slanted in the wrong direction. Right. But people would usually put a cushion under. Some, sometimes. It depends on the chair. Um, so, um, yeah, it, on a chair, um, I think it's not so important that your, your buttocks be over your knees but what is important, <coughs> excuse me, is that your feet reach the floor and can rest flat on the floor. So, you know, for um, people who are a little shorter or chairs that are higher, um, if, if your feet don't rest comfortably on the fo- floor and feel supported, then you should put a blanket or a cushion under your feet. But it's not so important mm-hmm. that you... That you'd be tilted up? No, I think as you know, I think it's best if your knees be at least level. Um, but um, but it's uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't found um, that it's it really makes a difference for me that your your buttocks be higher if you're seated on a chair. This is a very practical question. Is can I use those pink cushions in the corner? Uh, no, I I think that they're you're not using them. Yeah, they're oh they are yours. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. And then is that one behind? 
you? Are you using that one? Just that one, but the the pink cushion and bench behind you. Uh, there, there, there. Those are. Those can be used. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I just want what I understood from previous practice. If you, if you need to adjust your posture and stretch an inch, and as long as you're mindfully, I think that's what you're saying, if you're mindfully aware of the urge beforehand and then take skillful action to correct it or adjust, then that's okay. Yeah, I and I'm, I'm saying something a little different. Like I would say, you know, if there's an itch, just be aware of the sensation uh, and don't move. Um, and then sometimes, you know, it continues and continues and continues. And then, okay, so, you know, so then the itch gets scratched. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but uh, not not to do it impulsively, or or even not to do it mindfully right away, uh, not to move your posture right away, but to work with it and um, see if you can, uh, if you have a, a, a sensation and, and you feel the impulse to, to scratch it, you know, bring your attention to another part of the body. Bring your attention back to the breath. You know, if you feel a little discomfort in the body, um, just bring your mindful attention into that sensation. I would say not to move right away, but to really try to work with it. And um, and see what happens. If it feels like you, it's it's a struggle, and you can't you can't really be with it, with any sense of ease, um, then shift your posture mindfully. Here I'll just offer a, a different perspective on the chair. For me, it has been really helpful to get my butt at least as high as my knees, if not above. And, and in, it feels like the same thing as when I'm on my cushion, mm-hmm. that uh, that allows the spine to sit on the sacrum and allows me to keep my back straight. In, in a chair, there's, like, my tendency is to fold, right? Like, to collapse, especially if my hips are lower. Right. And then you lean on the chair, and then you don't have a straight spine, and, and you're not as alert as... For, for me, right. it okay. really helps to get the hips higher, and higher? that okay. helps to sort of relax then into the sort of natural <laughs> straightness of the spine. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I, I haven't haven't worked with uh, that posture so much. So, so um, yeah, certainly not lower, um, and perhaps higher. Um, and one thing I forgot to mention about the chair is that when you're sitting on a chair... Um, it's really best to not lean back into the back of the chair, but use the chair as you would a stool. You know, so just in a way pretend that the chair has no uh, back, but sit forward on it, and um, uh, and and just you know let your back be self-supporting. Uh, if you if you find if you have uh, issues with your back and you do need that support, um, then that's okay. You know, like everything is workable, um, and uh, and so, uh, you know, if if you're leaning back into the chair, just uh, you know, take it as support, but don't 
let the sh- back of the chair shape your back so that it's rounded. You know, just have that energized spine, and being having your your uh, buttocks slightly higher than than your knees maybe would be helpful in that way as well on a chair. Um, I, I see images and representations with different hands in different spots. Um, mm-hmm. Could you elaborate maybe on Yeah, so the hand gestures are called mudras in, in Sanskrit. This one, a uh, very beautiful uh, um, mudra of the Buddha, is uh, the mudra of giving no fear. And it's, uh, it's a mudra in which... Um, you know that it's a, it's a, it's the expression of of uh, really loving kindness um, to all beings. So giving no fear. Uh, it's uh, that spirit of non-harming. Um, this one that's on the little statue here uh, is a meditation mudra, and um, uh, and it's. The, usually the left hand over the right, but it doesn't really matter that much, with the thumbs lightly touching. And the, the, um, the hands are resting in the lap. Um, so uh, if you find that, if you find that um, an, a good posture for you, then you can adopt that. I, I find that for me, just with my body, um, my arms are a little short. Uh, so that when I actually rest my arms in my lap that way, I'm rounding my shoulders and it creates tension in my shoulders. So, um, so I don't use that posture. Uh, but you know, one nice thing about it is that it's like a little uh, dashboard. Mm-hmm. So if you find that your thumbs have kind of separated, you're kind of, you're probably drifting. <laughs> so if your thumbs thumbs are just lightly touching. Then you're, you know, it's it, it's a way to notice if the mind is drifting, but but having your hands resting on your thighs or or folded in your lap, uh, anything that you know, or if you like another mudra, somebody's doing, you know, the the um, forefinger and the thumbs touching, uh, that's that's fine. Um, there are many many mudras, and I don't know them all. So I'd like to talk a bit more about uh, the uh, the practice, the important practice of insight into the arising and passing away of experience, experience of sensation in the body and mental um, mental experience, whether they're you know mental states such as uh, a mood or coloring in the mind or a, uh, a thought or an emotion. Um, and the Buddha emphasized this so much in his teachings, the importance of seeing the arising and passing away of, uh, of our experience, the insight into that. So it's not... Again, I want to emphasize it's, it's, it's more than just intellectually understanding. 
that these things arise and pass away and kind of being philosophical about it. I mean, although that, you know, that's a, that's a, um, a beginning step perhaps, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, but to really see uh, how it arises, when it arises, and, and how it manifests, and, 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 and how it passes away. To, um, to stay present with it um, is, is, is uh, the importance of insight is that it is liberating because it changes our relationship to, uh, to our experience. The Buddha said that, um, that one moment of seeing the arising and passing away of experience is more important than doing years of, you know, for, for our awakening. It's more important for our awakening than doing years of good deeds and, and weeks of, of uh, the practice of, you know, loving kindness um, or compassion. It's just really that insight, that direct insight into the arising and passing away is, is more important. And he said, I, I can't overstate how important it is for freedom, for awakening. <clears throat> and so, um, so it, it, does, it does require a, a, a certain amount of developed capacity to attend, to pay attention. And, and this is why the samatha practice, the, you know, just coming back to the breath, returning to the breath, staying with the breath, learning, you know, developing the capacity to, um, to, to see the whole breath, the beginning, middle, and end of each in-breath, the beginning, middle, and end of each out-breath. Uh, to notice sensation in the body and see how it, you know, it moves, it, you know, and to be able to attend to sensation in the body. Um, so, so this capacity to, um, to see how things arise and pass away, um, or, uh, sorry, I was talking about this capacity to stay with our experience is uh, is something that we develop and um, and is really important uh, in the Pasana practice. And so um, so when there's physical pain, you know, as we were talking about a few minutes ago in the posture, uh, we can be with it and discover that perhaps it's not something solid, that it's something that moves and comes and goes. And, um, and one of the things that we exacerbate, one of the ways that we exas- exacerbate or, or, or uh, in even intensify physical pain is, is that we tense around it. And it's a kind of... A, um, Automatic and actually uh, counterproductive reaction because 
because it, uh, it, it in, a, in a way, it's like holding that physical pain. You know, we're somehow, you know, we're unconsciously trying to isolate it, to, to block it off, but, but actually, um, you know, blocking off the circulation, um, blocking off the, just uh, the flow um, through that, that part of the body uh, doesn't really help it. So, so just uh, notice if, if we're tensing it and, and just, just resting the attention, examining, bringing the attention deeper into it. Um, in, in attention, in, in, a, in the way that we direct our attention, there, we can think of it in two parts. We're aiming our attention, so we're kind of directing our attention to a particular space or, or place in the body or, or to a particular experience, and we're sustaining the attention. So aiming and sustaining, they, they balance each other. So a lot of the time we're just aiming and then the, uh, the attention falls off. So there, we need to bring a kind of an energy to not only aim the attention but sustain the attention. And we can, we can experience that first of all in the breath, aiming and sustaining our attention on the breath. And and we notice that, um, you know, as you know, I mentioned, I think. Uh, on Friday morning, that you know, what happens is the mind becomes more still and more calm. Is that you know the patterns of of uh, the conditioned habit patterns of the mind, uh, which are also held in the body uh, as just different kinds of formations in the body, uh, tensions um, in the body we begin to encounter them. They begin to come into our awareness because they're not driving us. We're not at the effect of them. You know, when, when they're pushing us around, it's like, you know, uh, they're behind us and we don't see them. But then in meditation, the mind becomes still and we turn and we face them and, uh, and, we, and we see them. And we see... We see the patterns, the habit patterns of, of mind, so, so the reactive patterns. And then we also see, on, even on a deeper level, the self-constructions which sustain them. So maybe the habit pattern is, um, is a reaction of jealousy. You know, somebody, you see somebody uh, who has something or is doing something and 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 the reaction is jealousy you know and uh, and then underneath that is the self construction of I'm not good enough and so so we begin to really see these patterns and these self constructions as we um, as the mind becomes more still and and uh, and there and there is a process. <laughs> I 
love thunderstorms. <laughs> it's one of my one of my early memories as a kid was standing out on the porch with my dad and my sister and uh, watching a thunderstorm. Um, yeah, so um, uh, thunderstorm <laughs> emptied my mind. <laughs> yeah, so 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 we we begin to we begin to encounter these, and it's a it, it's a process that. Um, Actually, takes takes uh, courage and compassion. Takes a lot of courage and a lot of compassion um, to to keep uh, saying, you know, yeah, I I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to I want to come from a place of. Uh, of honesty and and knowing the truth, um, and um, and and it also comes from a play, and it also we're also kind of um, we can draw nourishment, we can draw sustenance in this process by just the love that we have for ourselves, the caring. You know, I I don't want to be. I don't want to be uh, kind of continually drawn into these patterns again and again. But, you know, I'd like to be able to be free, to love more fully, to love more freely, to to uh, to be present in the moment. You know, without all these self uh, preoccupations and self obsessions. And so, it's something that is, you know. It's a process. It's a gradual awakening process, in which we're we're um, we're seeing and we're uh, we're seeing these and 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 what I need to bring in in a very important way is that in the seeing of it, we we see the impermanent nature of it. So we're seeing. So when, when we connect with jealousy when there's mindfulness and we can recognize oh there's jealousy there's jealousy that's arising and and instead of getting into the story of it of you know uh, if only I had done this in my life then I would be able to be doing like that person um, and and just you know the way a, a a very wonderful way a way that I always uh, practice and teach is to to get out of the story of it, it, it just to arrive in the body. Now where is this intense emotion being known and and felt in the body? And and to uh, to open to it with an open heart, with a compassionate heart, to just stay with it and see it arise and watch it pass away and 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 it's so important not to identify you know that this is me or mine it's a conditioning of the mind so a very beautiful little uh, kind of trick uh, an acronym that uh, Michelle McDonald um, teaches is uh, 
it's it's an, the acronym is RAIN R A I N, and uh, and so the steps in working with these intention emotions are um, so to we recognize it. So first of all, we recognize oh there's jealousy or there's anger or there's feeling like a victim or there's feeling like I don't belong or nobody wants me or or um, or grasping you know at something to give me happiness or there's wanting to be loved by everybody uh, so recognizing recognizing it so we we each have our particular patterns you know we we share many many of them and and in each one of us some of them are particularly strong so we recognize them and you know very very important the second step the a is to accept it to open to it um when i first began the practice of insight you know i would recognize that something was coming up in the mind and immediately I'd slam the door shut as fast as I could of my mind because I didn't want to acknowledge that this mind was uh, was experiencing those bad, you know, feelings, those feelings that, you know, I, I felt, you know, I shouldn't have. But, you know, it's really so important. And um, I'm going to... Uh, read a poem which perhaps many of you are familiar with um, called The Guest House by Rumi and it it just is such a, a wonderful expression of this um, used pages Mm. Rumi uh, Rumi 12th century Persian poet uh, Sufi poet Uh, this being human (coughs) excuse me this being human is a guest house every morning a new arrival a joy a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing, and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And I, to me, this speaks so so uh, so deeply to me, because I, I I had that sense in my in my own mind of slamming the door you know but but these 
these visitors, these conditioned patterns of the mind, are um, teachers. They really are. And, uh, and so when we can accept them and when we can see how they arise and pass away and then notice, you know, how, what is that space that we experience in the passing away? Um, that is transformative. So recognizing, accepting, investigating. So mindfulness and investigation work together. Investigating is bringing your attention, you know, deep into the body and asking, where is this in, in the body? Where energetically am I holding this in the body? And just... Uh, recognizing how as you give it space to be received compassionately received to be to be known that it 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 moves through you and then the last the the n of rain is the non-identification it's not me it's not mine it's not self it's something that that it arises from causes and conditions it, it's something that, you know, developed in the mind because it was the best that we could do with what we had at the time. And so, um, so, so, so this is a kind of a little set of tools. And, you know, and, and implied in that, you know, in the acceptance, there's a lot of compassion in the recognizing, there's a lot of courage to to open, to to see these, and so you know it's really at this point in 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 the retreat, the mind is becoming a little quieter. Perhaps some of these things are coming up, and so um, so this is an important instruction for you to work with. <coughs> yes. I think the non-identifying uh, piece is. Challenging to look at without it becoming sort of facile, you know, uh, because I think that's what I'm working with now. That this whole thing of, um, you know, we too quickly go to this idea of letting go, and uh, oh, you know, it's impermanent and it will move through and. Is there a call to action? You know, when you recognize and you've accepted and you have some insight, is there then a place of response? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. I mean, that's that's really a, an excellent question and um, and, and and point because. You know, um, uh, sometimes these 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 patterns come out of deep wounding, and um, you know, it could be familial, it could be social, it could be um, uh, and and at the same time. Um, the non-identification 
um, is uh, it's not saying that 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 we um, we then just um, don't do anything necessarily. You know, I mean, it, it but it 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 gives it gives us that choice. And and actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about that this afternoon in the talk. But um, but if we're coming if we're coming from a place of um, of whether it's uh, anger or um, uh, if we're coming from a place of self and other, you know, then. Um, Uh, then, then we are. We're not coming from a space of freedom. So, so, um, so the non-identification, you know, it allows us to, to say, you know, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not personal. It's not. You know, it's not about a self. Um, even even if it even if these patterns developed in in uh, in a, a situation in which you know there was a personal relationship, still whatever formed that other were many many conditioning factors. So there's so always so many causes and conditions that we can always say. You know, it's not about a self. It's not about you know me or mine, and and how and and the non-identification allows us to let go of coming from a place of reactivity and come from a place of wisdom. Um, and yet, you know. And I and and at the same time, I'm not uh, disputing that it's not something that is necessarily easy or um, or or clear and can be a process. I think it's easier, and I don't want to take up a lot of time. I've talked about this in a group, but it's much easier to look at it if we're looking at the individual, the individual experience, and you know. But when we start to apply that into um, societal responsibilities, Um, I'm wrestling now this idea of no self, which is tied with not not identifying. um, You know, we know there's absolute and relative truth. So, on an absolute esoteric level, we're all one, you know, I get that. It's a joke. But that's relative, there is a self and yeah. there is a context. Right. So the practicality of bringing it outside of the individual situation, maybe right now you're giving us instructions around sitting here, and I'm sorry if I'm taking it yeah. outside of that, but yeah. um, for me, at this point, the individual experience is not enough. Right. I need to understand how this translates into um, 
functional, responsible actions that are meaningful in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's an excellent uh, exploration. I, I think that uh, I, I would agree that, you know, the instruction that I've given now is most pertinent to working on an individual level. Um, and, and yet, at the same time, when we work at a social, at a, at a more societal level, and we see what happens when, you know, when, it, when we're reacting, when, when we're reacting to hatred with hatred, when we're reacting to bigotry with, you know, more bigotry or, or anger, you know. So it, it's just, uh, so, so in some way, you know, we need to, um, we need to bring uh, a, uh, this, this perspective of ultimate truth. You know, I'll speak for myself. You know, I need to um, maintain this perspective of ultimate truth um, and yet responding to, to what, is, uh, what, is, what is being manifested in a way that points to the, you know, the harm that's being done. And I think that, uh, you know, your question is, is a very important one. Um, and uh, so, so, um, so I, you know, I will perhaps touch on it. Maybe there's an opportunity to reflect on that in the afternoon talk. Um, and uh, and I think it's going to be an ongoing exploration for you, for me, for perhaps any others. So, um, so let's sit for just a few minutes, um, and then we'll do some walking meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.